Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. With me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, this is a verse we've looked at quite a bit, but uh, I want to use one verse here to sort of uh, spring off of and uh, <clears throat> take us in the direction we're going today. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And he put all things, this is verse 22, <clears throat> and he put all things under his feet. He put all things under his feet. His refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. He put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This verse is telling us that the church is the body of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, this verse tells us, is the head of the body and we are the body of Christ. And so it's telling us several things. It tells us, first of all, <clears throat> that we are essentially and, and, uh, and completely connected with and united with Christ. We're one with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that when a person is born again, they are baptized or placed into the body of Christ. They become a member of the body of Christ. And because of that, we become members of one another. And go over with me to the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and let's look at another aspect of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Now, he's talking here, first of all, about the human body, the natural physical body of man. And then he's comparing it to the Lord Jesus Christ's body. Verse 12 says, For as the body, the human body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So he's telling us that the body of Christ has many members, just like your physical body has many members. And all the members of your physical body, being many, it's still just one body. Your hand doesn't belong to anybody else's body. It belongs to your body. Isn't that right? It's part of your body. And he goes on to say, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, 
where would the body where would the body be? But now indeed they are many members yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. Now notice that he's talking about the unity of the physical body. That the hand cannot say to the foot, well, because I'm not a foot, I'm not a member of the body. The eye cannot say to the ear, because I'm not an ear, that I'm not a member of the body. For if ever, because if all the members were feet, where would the hands be? If all the, if all the members were eyes, where would the hearing be? But all the members being many are still one body. And he said, one cannot say to another, I have no need of you. The hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. How many of you want to do without your feet? No. The eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. No member of the body can say to another member of the body, I have no need of you. But I want you to notice that he makes something that's really remarkable, a statement here. He says, nor can the head say to the feet, this is the latter part of verse 21, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Your head cannot say to your feet, talking about your physical body, I have no need of you. Your head can't say to your hands, I have no need of you. Your head can't say to any part of your body, I have no need of you because everything the head wants to do has to be done through those different parts of the body. How many of you have ever awakened in the nighttime and you've been sleeping on on one side maybe and sleeping on your arm and you woke up and and your arm was completely lifeless? Have you ever been there? I'm not talking about the I'm not talking about the pinpricks. You aren't there yet. I'm talking about you wake up and your arm is completely numb. No feeling it, and you go to turn over and it just, it just kind of lays you. Pick your arm up. I mean, it kind of scares you at first. You think, oh my Lord, is my arm dead? <laughs> no, you, 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 your, your mind told your, your arm, move. It didn't move. Because the circulation had been cut off. Isn't that right? When the circulation's cut off, then, then that member of the body can't function the way the head wants it to function. The head has instructions for all the parts of the body, but all the parts of the body have to be moving in concert with the head. Everything has to be functioning together. This tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ, because he said, so also is Christ. So the illustration he's giving about the physical body pertains to the spiritual body of Christ. And the head cannot say to Brother Jones, I have no need of you. The head cannot say to Sister Gertrude, I have no need of you. The head cannot say to any of us that we're not important. Amen. God needs us. Now, a lot of people theologically would have a problem with that statement. They say, well, God is omnipotent. God doesn't need... Well, from the standpoint of his deity, he doesn't need anything. 
We understand that. From the standpoint of who he is, he's not in need of anything or anyone. But pertaining to his plan, when it comes to what he wants to do in the earth, he needs us. He needs you. Little old you. Little old insignificant thinking you. God needs us all. Amen. Every member of the body of Christ has a function, has, a, has, a, has value, has a part, and has a place uh, in God's plan. And the Lord Jesus Christ can do nothing in the earth as the Lord Jesus Christ. He can do nothing except through his church, his body. I mean, can you do anything without your body? Everything your head wants to do has to be carried out by your body. And any time a part of your body stops working, then there's a loss of function. Isn't that right? There's a loss of something, some action, some activity, something that your head wants to do, you can no longer do or else you've got to get another part of your body to make up for that part. And how many of you know it never really works exactly perfectly because every part of the body is unique. It's designed to carry out a particular function, particular work or a range of things and and there isn't any substituting for it. Thank God I have two eyes. I have two ears, but I need both of them. I need both my eyes and both my ears. If you don't believe it, cover up one of your eyes and then reach over and start to grab something. You'll, you'll, you'll misjudge it. You need both. God has put everything in our body. Even when there's duplication, it's all needed. Amen. Hallelujah. If you plug up one ear, you can't hear where things are coming from. You can hear sound, but you can't determine the direction. God has a purpose for all of us. You, you are needed. I I, I don't think people really let that resonate like they should on the inside of them. They don't really think about the fact that God needs me. You know, uh, a lot of people have the idea that, well, you know, I I can just be a recipient of God's blessing. But it's not really important what I do. My contribution to the church isn't really important. My contribution to uh, my fellow man is not very important. Nothing could be further from the truth. God needs all of us to be functioning in the capacity he's designed us to function in. You know, go with me over to Romans chapter 12 for just a minute. Look at Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone, would this leave anybody out? How many people in here today, how many of you sitting here would be included in this word? If, if you're included in this, raise your hand. Okay, some of you don't believe you're included. Uh, everyone. How many is included in everyone? I lost people that time. I, we prayed that we'd have revelation today, not, not lose revelation. 
everyone is everyone. He said, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we, for as we have many members in one body, again, using the the illustration of the physical body, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. How many have gifts? All of you that have gifts, raise your hand. Well, not everybody believes they have gifts. But we read right here that it says having then. That's not a question. That's, that's That's an assumed truth. On the face of the argument, he's saying, then we all have gifts. Just like every member of the body has a function, every member of the, of the spiritual body of Christ has a function and is gifted with the ability to fulfill that function. My, my little finger is especially gifted for what it does. It helps me grip things. It actually is the strongest element of my grip outside of my thumb. You don't believe it, grab something, squeeze real hard, just squeeze, make a fist and squeeze, squeeze real hard. You'll feel that little finger imprinting your palm stronger than any other, other finger. That little finger is just gifted. Just a little finger and it's crooked. Have a crooked little finger. But it's gifted for what it does, praise God. What? He said tonight's miracle night, I could get that finger straightened out. You better go sit in the back, son. (laughs) We ought, no matter how significant or insignificant we think we are, we all have a function. We're all important. Now, he said, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Some people have an elevated sense of importance. He said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I like to turn that around. Don't think of yourself more lowly than you ought to think. He said, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He didn't say not to think of yourself highly. He didn't say do not think of yourself highly. He said don't think of yourself more highly. So we should think of ourselves highly according to the measure of faith that God's given us, according to the ability that he's given us, according to the place he's given us. We should think soberly about that and realize that we all have a function, we all have a place, we all have a part, praise God. Amen. And none of us can do without the others. Now the problem is, many Christians, and I, 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 I'm tempted to say most Christians, 
live from crisis to crisis. Just go from crisis to crisis throughout their entire lives. Whether it's some kind of a family issue, crisis, marital problems, problems with children, problems with parents, money problems, financial crisis, needs, health problems, all all kinds of worries. We worry about this and worry about that and fret about this and fret about that, fearful of this. All sorts of, uh, of fears that I can't do or it won't work or I don't know what's going to happen. Christians go from crisis to crisis. If it, 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 Just one thing or another. Strife. Falling out with one another. You know how much energy is spent just, just with people battling one another, striving with one another, can't get along. You know, it's easier to get along than it is to be offended. Amen. Once you make up your mind to do it. Once you make up your mind that I don't care what brother so-and-so does or says to me, I'm not going to let him make me stop serving God. I'm not going to lose my testimony. I'm not going to lose my place. I'm not going to stop in my journey for God just because brother so-and-so does something that offends me or does something that's not right. Why in the world would I get offended if brother Q you know, starts being unfaithful. What sense would that make? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop being faithful just because he might choose to not be faithful. I'm not gonna stop living right just because somebody else stopped living right. Amen. Depressions. Repression. Suppression. Obsessions. Most Christians live their lives from one of these crises to another, just crisis after crisis after crisis. And so much energy is spent, so much effort and attention, and, and, and like I said, just energy is drained out of our lives because we just have one thing after another that we struggle with when God needs us to be performing, God needs us to be at our at our uh, peak performance. God needs us to be online where He can use us. But we're all tied up and all you know bound up with all these issues and isms. It's the truth. God needs us. Now, the devil fights us in all these areas. That's not that just we just choose, you know, intentionally or, or knowingly and purposely just choose to be wrapped up in all these things. We struggle with them because we don't like them. We want to get free from them. But the devil continually attacks in all these areas. Have you noticed the devil will attack you where your family's concerned? Have you noticed the devil will attack you where your fellow brother or sister in church is concerned? Where your, where your Christian brother on the job is concerned? Or your sister on the job? Have you noticed the devil is continually after you where finances are concerned? Have you noticed that the devil is continually trying to poke you and prod you in your body with this ache and this pain and this condition and that condition? These are areas where the devil fights us. 
He'll try to bring fears. We know fear doesn't come from God. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Well, when, when fear comes, we know where it comes from. It's, it's the devil behind all of it. Why does the devil fight us so much? Why is he continually trying to make you depressed or angry or, 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 or out of sorts with people? Why, does he, why is he always trying to attack you physically or attack you in finances? Have you worried about this and worried about that? Why does he do that? Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that we can blame it all on the devil, but we know he is the one who is the tempter. He is the one who's the accuser. He's the one that's always there trying to oppress, trying to bring bondage in our lives. Ultimately, it's up to us. We understand that. We can't put it off on the devil and say, well, you know, it's the devil's fault. The devil made me do it. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't make you do it. But he does entice you. And he uses our flesh. We, we, don't, we don't want to admit it. But our flesh causes us a lot of problems. Well, well why is it? Why is it the devil is continually putting pressure on your flesh? to get you to act contrary to the word of God. Well, go, go with me. I'm, I'm glad you asked that. If you want the answer, if you want the answer, just, uh, just write me at uh, Edwin Anderson's Ministries and I'll send you my complete product catalog and you can order the tapes, the CDs. No, go to James chapter four. <laughs> go to James chapter four. I'll give you the answer here and it won't cost you anything. James chapter four. Glory to God. Let's start in verse number five, James four, verse five. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, this is a, a, a verse that people like to quote. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The problem is, a lot of times there's a whole lot more resisting than there is fleeing. Amen. I said a lot of times there's a whole lot more resisting than there is fleeing going on. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, why is that? Well, the verse starts with the statement, submit yourself to God. See, it doesn't do, you're not so effective resisting the devil if you're not, if you're not submitted to God. Amen. See, if you're not submitted to God, you are resisting God. Because the Spirit yearns jealously for us. The Holy Spirit is always wanting to lift us up, to raise us up, to draw us up, to draw us closer. He's always wanting, the Holy Spirit is always prompting the very highest and the very best on the inside of you all the time. 
He's always encouraging you to do the right thing, to think the right way. Of course, he can only work to the degree you have the word in you because the spirit works in line with the word. The Holy Spirit will always lead you in line with the word of God. I'm talking about this word, the written word of God. The Holy Spirit will always lead you in line with this word. Anytime you sense and you think the Holy Spirit is speaking to you or some voice or some uh, inclination or some thought comes up, if it doesn't line up with this, it couldn't possibly be from the Holy Ghost. It's absolutely impossible that the Holy Spirit will ever prompt you or lead you or direct you or encourage you in any way other than this. Now, he will lead us sometimes when we don't know the word. He'll still lead us in line with the word even when we don't know the word. But he's not nearly as effective doing that because you don't have any way of judging it. Isn't that right? He will always lead you in line with the word even if you don't know it, but he's far more successful if you know the word that he can bring to your attention and lead you in line with that. And you say, yeah, I see that in the Bible. I see that. I'm going to obey that. The Holy Spirit has led me unconsciously in things before. And I didn't realize he was leading me. Didn't even understand what the, what the, the point was. And as I grew and matured in the word some, I began to see, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit was trying to tell me that all the time. He'll always lead us. But notice he says, God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble Therefore, submit to God. We have to submit to and cooperate with His grace. Amen. I said we have to submit to and cooperate with His grace. Now hold, hold your place here and go back to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. I said we have to submit to and cooperate with his grace. Verse 6 says, Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according to his grace. We have to submit to and cooperate with the grace that is on us. I'm not graced with everything you're graced with. You're not graced with everything I'm graced. I have graces graces in my life, abilities and enablements and certain things that God has deposited in me that he might not have deposited in you. But I'm not responsible for your grace. I am responsible for my grace. Do I submit to it? Do I cooperate with it? You understand that? And, and you have to do the same thing. You can't be me and I can't be you. Believe me, you don't want to be me. Being me is not always fun. I suspect being you is not always fun. I have my responsibilities, you have yours. But the point is God has graced all of us and he needs us 
to cooperate with and submit to the grace of God on our life. And then when we resist the devil, having cooperated with the grace of God, all of our callings, our giftings, our enablements, giving full attention to what he's done in our lives, what he's given us, what he's imparted to us, when we resist the devil, this scripture in James says, he will flee. Fleeing is different than walking. He didn't say resist the devil and he'll back off. He didn't say resist the devil and he will walk away from you. He'll back off. That's not what it said. It says he will flee from you. If you look this up in a a Greek study, it'll tell you this word means to run away as in terror. Run away as in terror. That's why the enemy continually tempts us and pressures us to to operate contrary to the grace of God in our life. The devil wants to remove you from your place. He doesn't want you fulfilling your, your, your calling in the body of Christ. The devil does not want Steve Morgan to fulfill the calling that's on his life. And so he will bring everything he can against Steve Morgan in order to try to push him off, to persuade him to to unconsciously and even unwilling to to give up or or to pursue something else. Because he knows that when Steve Morgan, the same thing's true for every one of us, he knows that when Steve Morgan is completely yielded to the grace of God that's on his life, the devil trembles at that. He trembles at that. God needs you. He needs you to be you, not the old carnal you. Not the old natural-minded you. He needs you to be the you that the Bible says you are. God needs us to take what he's given us to employ those things in our lives. He needs us. God needs you to fulfill his purpose. God needs you to be strong in faith. It matters whether or not you feed your faith. That was weak. It matters whether or not you are strong in faith and are active in faith or whether you're just a spiritual hitchhiker. A lot of people are just hitchhikers. They don't want to believe God for anything. They'll just let other people carry them. Really, you don't want to be a hitchhiker. You might think hitchhiking through life spiritually is the easy way, but I'm telling you, there's, when the enemy comes against you, you cannot resist him because you're not submitted to the grace of God in your life. Amen. And you can resist him and resist him or try to resist him. He won't flee. That's why he continually attacks us in these areas. That, that are so, listen, the, the attacks of the enemy are common. All of us are familiar with them. 
We're all familiar. We all, we all deal with the same things. From the pew to the pulpit, we all deal with the same things. The enemy comes against everybody just the same. I don't know why I didn't know this. I guess I never really thought about it. But when I was younger, you know, I would read about other cultures. You know, uh, people on the, on, on, like in China or in Asia or, or you, know, in, in, uh, you know, some remote place in, in the world. And I would think, you know, their customs and their, and their cultures and their history, their religion, everything is so different. I had kind of this idea that they were almost like from another world. How in the world could people in China, you know, who've been raised in the backcountry, away from everything, how in the world could they relate to things that are important to me until I did a little bit of traveling and I discovered everywhere I go, people are exactly the same. They have exactly the same needs. They struggle with sickness. They struggle with money problems. They struggle with depression. They struggle with fear and anxiety. They fight and, and are, uh, are you know, out of sorts with one another. The enemy fights everybody the same. You might have a different language and a different culture, but the enemy's the same. And he's constantly wanting to get you off your game, away from the grace of God that's on your life, and to, and to neutralize. When he does that, he can neutralize your testimony. He can neutralize your effectiveness. Because God knows that every person sitting in this room, every single person, if you've been born again, if you've been saved, you were given a divine purpose and a divine uh, ability, and several of them most likely, that you have been uniquely qualified and gifted to pursue things for, for the kingdom of God and the devil is fearful of that. He is at, he's terrified by it. He's terrified by the idea that this man would do all that God has called him to do. Rise up in the full measure. He's terrified of that. And so he constantly pushes and prods and tempts. Listen, God needs us to obey his word. He needs us. He needs us to be doers of the word. Why? Because he has a plan. He has a plan for us. God needs all of us to prosper. Prosperity, the message of prosperity is not a selfish doctrine. I said it's not a selfish doctrine. Go to me with Deut- to Deuteronomy. Go to the, I think it's the 8th chapter, we'll look. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Hallelujah. Verse number well, let's just read it all. <laughs> Start in verse 2. And, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you. Now, he's talking to the children of Israel, but you know the Bible says that these things that happened to them happened as examples to us. And these things were written as examples to us. So this is, this, there's, a, there's a New Testament truth revealed in these Old Testament scriptures. Do you follow that? Amen. 
Uh, and he, and he, you shall remember the Lord your God that he led you all the way those 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know not what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Remember, Jesus said that. He quoted this. Your garments did not wear out on your on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flows out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of fig, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in my heart, in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Think about all the good things that he provided for the children of Israel. Abundance, all the food you could eat. All of the natural resources you need, iron and copper and gold and silver, everything you would need. Beautiful houses that you didn't even build. All the abundance, the abundance of all these things. God says he's given you the power to get, it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Notice that he may establish his covenant. God needs us to prosper. It's not enough to barely get by. I said it's not enough for us to barely get by. God is not pleased when we are barely getting by. He's not pleased. He needs us to prosper. Why? Because he, there's a lot he wants to do in this earth. You know, Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will men give into your bosom? A lot of people have the idea that whenever you give, God will give back to you. It'll just sort of come floating out of heaven. You know, if I give tithes and offerings or I help somebody, you know, money will just float down out of heaven, but it doesn't work that way. 
Because if it did, it'd be counterfeit money. You couldn't spend it. Amen. <laughs> Who gives to you? Who gives to you? Give, and who gives to you? Men. How do they give? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Who's capable of that? People who are blessed. People who are blessed. Most Christians aren't in a position to give to somebody. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Most believers aren't in a position to do it. Because why? Because the enemy has them, the enemy has them under pressure where finances are concerned. And they struggle with finances, they struggle with lack. When you're struggling with lack, you're not a channel for blessing. Because you're just trying to keep the lights on. You're just trying to keep the wolf away from the door. You don't have enough to give to somebody else. You, God, there's a grace for you. God wants you to believe his word, to prosper, to act on the promises of God so that you will have enough to be a channel. Now, God's not, not, God's not opposed for you using a little that for yourself. He's not opposed to you having good things. But the whole purpose is is for you to be able to be a blessing to somebody else. It is wrong to sit in a church where you're taught the principles of prosperity and cross your arms and say, well, you know, I, I just don't believe in all that. I just think it's a bit excess. And I, you know, I, I don't need very much. I just need a little bit in life and I'm satisfied. I just, I'm just satisfied with having my mortgage met. You know, and one day have this house paid for. And I'm okay with, you know, with, with uh, you know, having a car payment, you know, as long as I can meet it. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm fed and, you know, decently. And, and, uh, and I don't need expensive clothes, you know, just a few things. I, I don't need a lot of changes of clothes. I don't need much. That's not okay. I said that's not okay. What about somebody else? What about somebody else who has nothing and those who are attempting to act, act on the promises of God and God's looking for somebody to give to them and he has to pass over you because you're so selfish that you just think of yourself, I just don't need very much. Well, God needs you to have more. God needs us to be healthy. Now, we, we don't have a problem with that because we all want to be healthy. But God wants us to have faith in him as our healer. See, most of us want to be healthy, but we want to pay the doctors to keep us healthy. Come on now. I'm not against doctors. God bless them. They, they, they provide a wonderful service. <clears throat> but there's a better way. Our first reaction when the enemy attacks us in our body is what does the Bible say? What has God done? What did Jesus do on the cross? What has been provided for me? I have a right to stand my ground. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 
He wants us to trust him first and foremost. I'm not saying go, don't go to doctors. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't take medicine. There is an, you can take anything and make an extreme position out of it and it brings bondage. I'm saying look to God first. Amen. Put faith in God first. Amen. God needs us healthy. Yes, he does. God needs us to walk in love. And I'm, I'm out of time. I'll just stop with that. I'll just, I'd be here another hour if I talked about that like it should be talked about. God needs us to walk in love with one another. He needs us to stay out of strife. Yes, strife brings destruction in your life, but it also sidelines you where God can't use you and you actually take away from what he's doing in the church when you're in strife. <clears throat> I said I was gonna stop. Somebody hold me back. Somebody hold me back. Keep me from going all day. God needs us to stay out of strife. Not just for our benefit, for his benefit. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Praise God. God needs you. He needs all of you. He needs all of us. God needs us, each of us, to be growing in in faith, growing in grace, growing in our ability to operate in the things that, that he has given us so that we can keep the enemy fleeing. God did not design the church. He did not model the church, develop and and create the church to be under the hand of the enemy, to be under the thumb of the enemy. He created the church to be the victorious church. He created the believer to be a conqueror, to be an overcomer every day. He needs us. He needs you. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of the whole work of God. Amen. My, my, my hand, you know, when I injured my hand a few months back, I mean, it, it hindered a, a lot that I could do. And, and, I, and I was painfully aware of how important my hand was when it wouldn't do everything I needed it to do. And it impacted, it impacted my, my physical life. If we could only see, if we, if we could just get a picture of how much the body of Christ could be accomplishing if everybody would just start walking in love with one another and start believing the word and speaking the word, whoo, revolutionary. God needs you. Yes, he does. Praise God. Don't think you're, you're, just, a, you're just some insignificant person. I'll just drift into church and sit down and be nice to a couple of people, say hello, you know, work in a department. But, you know, it really doesn't matter, you know, how I'm doing. It matters how you're doing spiritually. Amen. Well, praise God, I'm repeating myself, but somebody will hear it. Amen. Glory. It's good to be part of the body of Christ. It's good to be a member. 
of the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be full of faith. It's good to be have it's good to have grace and gifts. Glory to God. What God's gifted you to do, nobody can do it like you can. Find your place. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.